Hello and welcome to Ask the Therapist. My name is Sarah Rees and this is episode 16 and it's lovely to have you here. And if you're listening in January 2020, a massive Happy New Year. Um, I hope you're looking forward to the year ahead and you've had a lovely holiday season. So today I'm talking with another Sarah, a cognitive behavioural therapist who runs greendoortherapy.co.uk. She has a private practice here in Manchester in the UK. Today we're going to be talking about an anxiety that all of us have experienced at some point in our life, social anxiety or social phobia. Sarah has a few areas of expertise and social anxiety is an area that she's really passionate about. And I think for all cognitive behavioural therapists, we really enjoy working with people that experience social anxiety because CBT is so effective for it. So we get really good results. And as Sarah talks through, it's a real kind of fun anxiety to treat as well because there's lots of kind of experiments which might sound quite unusual if if it's something you struggle with. Um, But you need to know it's very treatable and we can help people work through it. So Sarah is going to talk us through the symptoms and signs of social anxiety, when to get help and talk us through how CBT works. So she's going to explain to us what the kind of treatment protocol is for social anxiety or social phobia. Um, If you've got any questions, we'll be happy to answer them. You can just drop me a line at sarahdreese.co.uk. But I hope you enjoy the episode and look forward to hearing from you. Enjoy. Hello, Sarah, and welcome to Ask a Therapist. It's lovely to have you here. Could you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do and your career journey so far? Thank you very much for having me, first of all. Um, so my name is Sarah, obviously. There's two of us here today. Um, and I'm a CBT therapist um, and I'm an EMDR therapist. And I've been working in mental health for 14 years, I think. So 10 of those as a therapist. Um, so I got into this, I suppose I did my degree in psychology yeah. um, to start with. And then I... Uh, I went into this kind of weird training in mental health that only existed in Hampshire, um, which, yeah, well, no, it wasn't. It was, it was a proper course. It was a postgraduate diploma in applied mental health um, at the University of Southampton. But the, the job role, I was called a mental health practitioner, which means something today, but it didn't when I first started. Um, but it's this very specific little job that only existed in Hampshire. So um, essentially, I ended up being trained to be um, like a staff nurse on a ward. Oh, wow. Right. Um, so I worked on the wards for two years training, two years post-qualified. But I wasn't a nurse. And this is where it gets a little bit confusing. And yeah. I'm not going to get into it because it would take me forever to explain. But it, it meant I was a little bit stuck in Hampshire. Um, because there wasn't really anywhere else I could go because nobody really knew I existed in that role just it was so small yeah yeah, niche sort of on understood um so having done that I'd worked on the wards I'd done some community placement as well I'd really enjoyed the stuff I really liked about that job was I often got to run groups and activities um I was because they didn't really know where to place me. I was often supervised by like occupational therapists, the OTs on the ward. Um, so, and they were very much about kind of like, yeah, run these groups and do a bit of, so I was running like little mini CBT groups on the, on the wards. Um, and then people kind of say, oh, I wouldn't like a group, but they're so powerful, aren't they? Because I love, of... I love yeah. groups. Yeah. Um, there's, there is something so different from even sitting with a therapist who you completely trust and understand and you know that they're not going to say anything that's not right, that there's something with sitting in a group of other people who've been through something really, really similar to you that just has this like added magic to it that you just don't get in a one-to-one. So I'm actually a huge advocate of groups, um, but I know they make people so, so nervous. But then Um, they actually do it what you find is that they really benefit from it I'm sure there's some that go yeah. no absolutely not but yeah. people who have attended any kind of group they're like it was amazing it was really yeah. it, because, I, kind of, 
being aware of other people's minds, isn't it? And thinking, oh my God, we're all the same. Yes, absolutely. Um, I've run, I've run groups later in my career, like being, you know, a qualified therapist. And yes, there is a bit of dropout. There are people who just they can't get through the door, and it really is too much for them. But the people who complete them, every single one says, I am so glad I you know and you say what are you taking away and they never say anything that you may have taught them or that or that you kind of put a lot of effort into kind of you know um putting together it's I sat with these people and they know what I mean without me having to explain it yeah that's powerful isn't it it's so powerful um so 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 you moved from Hampshire did you then yeah so well I stayed in Hampshire actually when I apt became a thing um I I introducing access to psychological therapies the big government scheme isn't it yes um so when that rolled out kind of nationwide I was in that first rollout so um I applied obviously got a position as a trainee therapist um in Portsmouth so I still stayed in sort of the Hampshire region um and I worked down there for Oh, maybe seven years I was in that team. Absolutely lovely team. If you happen to be down there, there's a wonderful NHS team down in Portsmouth. Um, And so I worked with them for seven years. And then I've moved up to uh, Manchester and I now work um, part time for uh, the, the, again, the primary care psychology team um, in the NHS and running my private practice as well. Fantastic. And I'm almost always fascinated by why people do what they do. Can you tell me how you arrived at becoming a therapist and why CBT? So why did you choose kind of mental health and therapy and specifically CBT? So I don't have the best answer for this because I kind of fell into it. <laughs> you say that, but it's a strange thing to fall into, isn't it? I- I yes, that's that very true. Whatever people do, there's some there's a some kind of draw or interest or yeah. I don't know. Well, during my degree, yeah. I wasn't particularly interested in mental health. I didn't, you know, we had a few little choices of things. I didn't like, you know, career myself off into the mental health ones, but I did work for my student nightline for three years. I was a, a Samaritans volunteer for the last year of my degree. Um so I must have an interest in people. I must have an interest in helping people manage when they are at their most distressed. Um, and the careers department at the uni were really good at sort of sending out information about, you know, upcoming things or new things that were sort of around. And I got this email about this, like I say, it's a weird little job that I ended up doing in Hampshire. Um, so I applied for that, got into that, did, did uh, two oh. years post-grad there. And then I was sat around one day with actually somebody who I'd used to supervise. Um, she'd also done the same course just a couple of years behind me. Um, and I was saying that I wanted, you know, the things I'd really enjoyed was was running the groups and kind of watching patients get better. Yeah. I mean, I think we all do it for that. Oh, it's oh, just those yeah. moments when people completely change their lives are just breathtaking. Yeah. Um, and I said to her, you know, I want to find a way to do more of this. And I think I really want to move into primary care. So coming off the wards and moving into primary care. And she said, oh, have you heard of this new IAPT thing? And I was like, no, what's this? So I went off into sort of research mode. <laughs> uh-huh. And I was like, this this is my chance. This is the thing that will, one, to be honest, get me out of this little sort of rut I'm going to get into if I stay in this job. Uh, that doesn't necessarily have any progression um and I didn't know it completely I've been obviously I've been doing little bits little bits of CBT and sort of low level kind of groups on the ward but CBT just suits me um I've got that scientific mind I'm all about the evidence um and it works doesn't it people do better and I think I I'm my background's in nursing, so I'd done all the wards. It's very medication-led. And I think it that helps to a degree, but you just have this sense of there's, there's another way 
that you've got yes. to get, you know, people have got to change how they think and how they, you know, and have more control over their mind and master their mind a little bit. And CBT really provides that, doesn't it? It really yeah. does. And But it's still collaborative and it's still, yeah. there's still structure. I actually quite like the structure of it. I know um, for some people it can feel way too rigid. I personally, I'm not a very rigid CBT therapist I'm not sure if I should admit that but when um, it's done really well it's so creative yes, um, yeah. so there's structure which I think just helps set boundaries and actually creates a space for people to say right this is where this is being held but yeah. without because you know I've had people come come to me actually and say oh I've I've met with a therapist before maybe not CBT yeah. but for them they found it really difficult because they'd sort of sit down and the therapist really wouldn't say anything mm. um and I'm not one of those therapists. I'm not going to smile and nod at you all the way through the session. You know, yeah. we're going to get into something and we're going to be working towards like doing whatever it is that we need to be doing. Yeah, it's very goal orientated. So you're always on a direction, aren't you? And reviewing all the time. That's what I really like about it. I think, and I'm quite solution focused. So I think mm. it attracts a certain type of person, doesn't it? It I does. People want CBT. It attracts a certain type of person. They want strategies to, you know, they want to kind of have a direction, meet goals, kind of be more uh, more autonomous in their kind of recovery, don't they? But, yeah. You know. Yeah, mm. and I think it, it, it can help with people who, um who oh what's the word like some people want that kind of very open space to mm. just explore how they feel and let that take as long as it takes and yeah and that's wonderful and you know I've tried that myself and I found it actually really helpful but yeah. it's I probably do a bit of that in within my CBT sometimes me too yeah it's whatever the individual needs, isn't it? Absolutely. And that's it. And it, it really is creative. And yeah. it can, I know I'm going to talk about this that's later, actually. The experiments <laughs> and the, yeah. you know, and yeah. just helping people kind of reconnect with themselves and move forward and make changes. And it's just, it is amazing. So, yeah, yeah I'm a big fan. And you have a, a few special interests, and one of those is social anxiety, which I want to really prick your brains about, because it's one of the most common anxieties and one that everybody can identify with. Can, but can you explain, because as I think social anxiety, social phobia is on a bit of a spectrum, but can you explain what social anxiety is for people? Okay, so I'll start with it is kind of, the name is on the tin here, so it is anxiety about social situations but obviously this is going to look really different for different people um so it may be that you are struggling with maybe speaking to strangers in particular like people you don't know going into new situations or having to meet people that you don't know that would be your idea of like the worst time ever uh, but for other people it can be actually strangers are fine and it's kind of interacting with their friends or going to a social gathering where there's going to be people they know that would be actually more anxiety provoking so I know those sound kind of opposite but you it can kind of go either way um for other people it's a lot about the symptoms that they get they're kind of physical symptoms that come with anxiety so maybe they're getting hot and they're blushing or or they're sweating or they're shaking because of the tension that they're carrying and then they start to worry oh no everybody's gonna see everybody's gonna notice that I'm, I'm I don't know my face has gone red or um you know I'm I'm stumbling over my words for example um and that can really put them off then trying to sort of interact with other people they're really worried about the minds about how they're going to be judged and stuff they're really absolutely yeah we we are set up that way um mm. to to worry what other people think about us that is how our brains are set up and i think that comes back to the point you were making about it is kind of on a spectrum everybody can identify a situation where they've walked in and felt a little bit out of their depth um yeah often with social anxiety people say to me it's like I walk in and it's like there's a spotlight on my head and it's like everybody's staring at me um and that the real felt sense um in their body as well that yeah. this, is, this is definitely happening um and so again it's between if it's within normal range and if it's something people can get can get help with because we all like when you say that I know job interviews I'll get all those symptoms yeah, <laughs> yeah me too 
um, having a few of them right now, even. (laughs) Yes, doing your first podcast. Is it your first podcast? It's my first podcast. And I'm quite glad that it's, you know, it's verbal because I've gone a bit red. Um, I can feel the heat in my face. Um, So for some people, this is going to be affecting every area of their life. You know, work, family, friends, even just sort of going into the supermarket and thinking, oh, I don't want the cashier to speak to me or I don't want to have to ask for directions somewhere. For other people, it might actually be confined to sort of one area of their life. You know, if you've got a job where maybe you've, you need to start making presentations and actually you've got a real fear of public speaking, then it could yeah. be relatively confined to just work and actually socially with your friends, you know, you don't necessarily have very many problems at all. Um, I would say once it's affecting your life, you've stopped doing things, you're avoiding stuff and you can only get through it if you've had an alcoholic drink or you're getting like panic symptoms that are becoming so overwhelming, you kind of can't, you feel like you can't deal with them. Then I would say, yeah, start making start making changes to to find someone who can help. There are self help books out there as well. Obviously, if you sort of just want to dip your toe in, um, but I think as soon as it is, you realise actually how much it's affecting your life. It's the impact on it's your the life. Impact limiting your life in some way. Like exactly. I, I mean, I'm like I always go back to the public speaking thing but I've not been public speaking so it's been fine for me but I kind of think that like doing the podcast and I've been doing some Facebook lives and I probably will have done a few more speaking things that I'm starting to work on it but I've never had to you know so it's but now I want it to be a bigger part of my life I'm having to work on it so it's the impact of your life if it you don't want it to stop you doing something in your life absolutely and because we can all have nervous thoughts you know we can all think oh what am I going to say when I go to this event or how am I going to interact with people and and I think we all do a little bit of that um and it's but it's when it's you know it's actually stopping you maybe it's because the physical symptoms of the anxiety have got too much or maybe it's just you can't get out of your own head you know you're kind of so wrapped up in that that you can't even pay attention to what's going on around you that's interesting and do we know what causes social anxiety so there's kind of two ways to sort of think about this I think there's kind of the evolutional way and then there's maybe sort of the individual way so I'll start at the beginning with evolution I suppose um I, I think we already kind of hinted at this we are set up to be um to want to belong we're set up to need other people and in order to uh, make sure that we're going to survive in terms of evolution we need a family or friends or we need to be part of the group yeah Um, how we survive if you think about us as a human being we're actually really fragile we're not the one they were you know so we needed to work in tribes haven't we absolutely you know before we were human we were mammals mammals all live in groups you know and if you are if you are a zebra and you get picked off from the pack you're gonna die yeah you know also though if you're the predator if you're the lion and you get kicked out of lion club it's going to be really hard to kind of feed yourself yeah yeah um it's it's important to be part of the tribe and be liked yes and it's 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 that gut gut level it's so instinctive just we have to belong because our brains think otherwise we might get kicked out and we won't survive so we can become sort of over fixated on all the different ways in which we might mess up I suppose you know if we show a sign of and I'm putting this in inverted you know quote marks here um you know we might look weak then maybe the rest of the tribe aren't going to sort of you know take us along so much there's an element of this self-checking and self-monitoring that's actually helpful to say am I being included like that's why we have fashion and we all dress the same and stuff we want to signal to our group don't we like hey I'm one of you guys I'm in with the Inca (laughs) exactly um so kind of in terms of evolution I just you know let's start there we we have to belong we need to belong it's inbuilt um and and if you if you're sitting here thinking I have this huge desire to belong that's because you're normal that's because you're human we all have that um so we're already set up to sort of I think you put it really beautifully there um kind of be scared of the minds of others because what if they reject us yeah um 
And then coming on to maybe sort of a more individual level, I'm going to say, obviously, there's no one cause. If there was, actually, this would be kind of easy. You just take out that one cause and jobs are good and right, we'd be done. <laughs> um, so it may be that people have not actually had enough practice. You know, there is an element of learning social norms, social cues comes with practice. And maybe actually you just haven't had enough of it. And if you are socially anxious, you might be avoiding in the first place. So you're going to be getting less practice than everybody else. Yeah. Um, it's a really so, normal stage of, of teenage development as well. We all went through that really awkward, at least well, I hope everybody did, because I certainly did, that really awkward teenage bit where you're really hypervigilant to, yeah. um, you know, am I getting in with everybody? It, you know, have I made a fool of myself? What if I mess up? Yes. Um, so that that can be part of it. Obviously, um, people who may have been bullied, um, whether that be, you know, young age, teenage, even into adulthood, that's often likely to be a cause of um, feeling very yeah. socially anxious. It's really huge, isn't it? I, I see a lot of people that have been bullied when they, they've been at school. And I wonder also if it's so if something happens in your life, like there is a hugely embarrassing social situation or that's it's something like you said um that teenagers are so important for building up social experience but it's something like I moved schools a couple of times yes and you know anything like that can throw you I moved from North Wales to Manchester with a Welsh accent on and that went down well yes <laughs> yes absolutely you know it doesn't have to be something yeah. that people would traditionally think as sort of a traumatic thing like bullying it can be the trauma of being completely misplaced at quite a sort of key age that can yeah. really kind of make people have to back off make people be maybe come into themselves more because there's this whole new structure to learn and a whole new kind of social set of you know what's okay what's not okay that's different between schools between areas between obviously like you say moving from one part of the country to another part of the country yeah. um I often get people who've also had something they feel is very traumatic like being pulled up in front of the whole class to do yeah. something or being asked to read aloud in front of the old, the whole class where maybe they're not feeling confident and then you know they start to stutter or and it's it's you know ingrained in them that this was like the single worst thing that ever happened to them um yeah. And, and, I, and I don't mean that lightly. It genuinely feels that way. Um, yeah. And that, again, it's going to put people off trying again. Yeah. And once you get into avoidance, that loop can really start. Yeah. Um, in your, stop yeah. you from, from, but from then going our again. Minds, when we're threatened and we're anxious, our minds just don't help us, do they? Because no. <laughs> we're so good with our imagination and we can take it so far and make yeah. the situation so worse. So there's a really wide range of things that can cause social anxiety and it's really not people's fault at all no not at just, all no and I think I something I often talk about on social media and stuff is that I feel that you know it's it's so important that we can we are connected in communities and in some ways we are the most connected we've ever been but yet the most disconnected you know that yeah. you know, like, it's brilliant we can do this podcast and that's going to reach lots of people but we can do it over Skype. We're not even looking at each other. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, and as I suppose a lot of teenagers that I see are on their phones a lot. A lot of them are, interestingly, are really good with video. They don't mind doing little videos of themselves, which would have been my nightmare. But yeah. they're sat in front of each other, which is a yeah. scary that, isn't it? Is, it is a skill. I'm not, and um, I do... I can't talk about it en enough. I've, I've not looked into it, but I do think that I think even just from my own experience, you know, I was um, I was about 16 when sort of mobile phones were first almost like invented that, you know, you buy the mass market. And, and back then, like, you know, you had like you could only hold 10 text messages on your phone. Oh my um, I know. <laughs> and now, you know, I keep in touch with and it's wonderful. I can keep in touch with friends from previous yeah. jobs and, and people all over the world, really. Um, but yeah, the, this, there's something about it's not live feedback, I think. Yes. Yeah. You know, if you're on a video, you can you can make sure you're doing your absolute best. You can put the face on. Mm -hmm. But there's no live feedback. You can't see what that person's responding to yes. in the moment. Yeah. So it's more of like a, a set piece rather than a conversation, maybe. And again, yeah. it gets you out of the practice of doing that. 
So I wonder if actually social phobia and social anxiety is going to be actually on the increase because of that. Maybe. Oh, well, I suppose we need to wait and see with the evidence because we yeah. like the evidence, don't we? But, yeah. well, but there um... is also a really big push that, you know, I know for our mood, we need to be connected with people to have good mood. So there is a push that we need to be with our friends and see them face to face. So hopefully that push will counteract the disconnected world, digital world. Fingers crossed, hey? Yeah. Yes. Um, can you give us an overview of how CBT, which, you know, cognitive, which is cognitive behavioural therapy, and it has the best evidence base for treating social anxiety. So out of all the therapies out there, CBT has got the best, it's been researched the most, has the best evidence for improving social anxiety. But can you give us a bit of an o overview of what that process would look like? Okay, so again, cognitive behavioural therapy is exactly what it says on the tin. Cognitive means how you think. Behaviour is what you do and what we as therapists are doing is help people make links between how their thoughts are affecting how they feel and how yeah. their behaviour is affecting how they feel. Yeah. Um, and with social anxiety, there's often a little added bit um, which the therapist will call self-focused attention. But essentially, you end up kind of in your own head, paying attention to just yourself that sort of this added bit that is sort of slightly different from some of the other anxiety disorders. It's like it's little own special thing. So we're looking at how you think about those social situations, what you're doing in those social situations, how self-conscious maybe you've become, how inner focused you've become and how all of that is affecting how you feel and your performance in those situations. So once we've helped people make those links and they understand anxiety, I do I do a whole session just on this is what anxiety does to the body. Like you're not going mad. This is actually how brains work. You know, your body's actually trying to help you out. Um, so I do a whole session on that as well. So once people have really grasped that, um, the, the single best thing, this is possibly my opinion, but the single best thing you can do. No, this isn't my opinion. It isn't my opinion because this is where the evidence is, is you have to start moving towards the things that are making you feel scared. So in social anxiety, we do that in a really graded way. We're not going to start by just throwing you into like your high street on a Saturday morning or an Ikea on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Um, it's graded. It's working your way up very, very slowly through like a hierarchy. So a list of, of situations starting at the bottom with the easiest and sort of slowly working your way up at your own pace. Um, and that that list is made by the client. It's not made by me. Um, it's not made by the therapist because it's going to be very specific to that person's particular needs. When treating social anxiety, there is one particular experiment that I absolutely love doing. It's in the protocol and I've met therapists who get a little bit anxious themselves about running it. But I, you have to do it. I've never seen it kind of not produce some change in people. So once we've made these links between the thoughts, feelings, behavior, yeah. the first thing I want to do with people is test out, are their behaviors actually working? Because what I find is that often the things that we start to do to try and make ourselves feel better in these social situations are actually backfiring yes. massively. Like, um, not giving any eye contact classic example yeah. yeah and then you just think everybody's staring at me just wait, yeah. just look so, up and you see yeah. that people aren't looking at you yeah those exactly kind of, yeah so I um I have women often particularly women with long hair they'll cover the whole face in their hair I've had I've had guys who wear really high jackets so that um you know to kind of cover their face in case they might blush um I've had people wear lots and lots of clothing you know they'll wear um, a t-shirt, a shirt, a, a, like a hoodie or a top, a jacket, because they're scared of sweating. And you're like, are you not hot? Are you not sweating because you're wearing all of that? And they're like, yeah, like maybe you'd actually sweat less if you just wore the t-shirt. Yeah. Um, so there's lots of these uh, things that people do that actually might be backfiring on them yeah. and, and making it worse. They haven't they? Otherwise, you know, so they might have started off kind of, well, that people do them to reduce the anxiety and it works. Absolutely, yeah. But it starts the solution then becomes the problem yes that's a lovely way to put it yeah. um i i remember i had one lady who she did she had this uh, very long hair and she'd sort of sit even with me she would sit sort of 
not looking at me, hair kind of almost like a curtain between us. Um, and I found out, you know, she was doing this in social situations as well with friends. She'd sit sort of cut off behind her hair. And what happens is people want to check on her. So they're sort of coming around, you know, they're kind of almost chasing her around. So are you okay? And yeah. actually she's drawing more and more attention to herself that's because so that's what she was doing. Yeah. And um, I think in, what's nice in the therapy room in that situation is that it, once you get a good rapport with somebody, you can say, this is how it feels to me that yeah. you know, it's, you know, you can kind of give honest feedback, you know, about, you know, it feels feels like you're not interested in me because you're not giving me eye contact, which is feedback that you just don't get usually. Yes, so. absolutely. So I will do a little experiment with people where I will, uh, I get a colleague to come in and yeah. I ask them to sort of have like a, like a dinner party conversation. You know, you've been sat with this person just randomly at a dinner party and you're going to make a bit of small talk essentially, I oh, suppose. I know. <laughs> and they, I just do it for five minutes. Yeah. Um, and I let them use all of their safety behaviours. If they want to stare at their shoes the entire time and have their hair covering their face and, and wear 25 layers, they can. Yeah. Um, and once we've done that, we rate it all. How, how anxious did you feel? How much eye cont contact do you think you made? So we rate all of those things. And then we ask them to do it again. And this time we ask them to try and drop those behaviours. Um, so... They do it as though they weren't anxious. So give eye, yeah, do the absolute opposite. Give eye contact and and all that. Yes. So yeah. this scares them even more because now they're having to drop the things that um, they think have been keeping them safe. Yeah. So they need to drop the things that they think have been keeping them safe. And I say to people, look, you're never going to see this other person again. They're, you know, they're usually a colleague. They're completely bound by confidentiality. They can't ever say, tell anybody they ever met you. I say for five minutes, just five minutes of your life, how about you try and be completely 100% yourself just for five minutes? Because this is the opportunity to see how that actually looks. Yeah. Um, how that actually feels. And, and to test out some of those ideas that they have. Um, so sometimes that can be something quite practical. So my lady with the hair, we literally just gave her a scrunchie and she, put, she pulled her hair back. She looked like a completely different woman second time around. Yeah. Um, I had a gentleman who would, um, or I have a lot of gentlemen actually do this, who sort of, they agree with everything. They don't want any conflict. So no matter what the, their friend is saying or the other person said, they agree with them. Um, and I remember saying to somebody once, I said, what if they said something really like offensive? You know, what if they said something racist? And they went, I wouldn't be able to challenge them. I said, but you're not a racist. And they said, no, 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 I know. But I, I just, I couldn't, I'd try and back out of it. Um, so yeah. we we came up with a way of, for the second time, I, I gave them a topic to talk about, actually. I said, right, I want you to talk about your favourite films. I said, but yeah. I want you to focus on your absolute favourites and your absolute least favourites. So he was forced to give an opinion. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what other things I've done now, but essentially getting people to come into the room, pay attention to the other person. That's the other part of it. So that self-consciousness keeps you needing those, those behaviors. So I often say to people like, try and pay attention to them. Try to put your attention on what they're saying, not on what you're doing. Um, just for those five minutes and, and have a go. That's see how that feels so powerful isn't it because with social anxiety you are the threat you could you feel like you could get it wrong in the social situation so your attention goes inwards what yes. am I, I going to get it wrong am I going to say it wrong do I look weird and all this so your attention goes inwards so getting it outwards and I know for it's a really great tip for public speaking or in meetings you really put your attention outwards that's so powerful isn't it it really really is um so we do that again and then we're going to re-rate it and people just see this drop. People realise that the things they've been doing have been backfiring and, and are um, either drawing more attention to themselves or actually making it harder for them to engage in the first place because they've been so inwardly focused. Mm. Um, and I love I love doing this. It may, I know it makes my clients quite anxious, but 
that is the point. I mean, if you're if you're going to overcome this, you, ha- you have to go through the anxiety to get to the thing that you want. Um, you know, all the things we want in life are often on the other side of fear. So yeah, in order to to get there, we have to start to approach rather than to avoid. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's so interesting. Thank you. And if, if somebody has social anxiety, it's such a brave act to go to therapy and talk to somebody about fears because you're having to face your fears just by going to therapy I mean it's it's one of the you know especially first session most people are really anxious generally you know that's yes all therapists are used to expect some it's rare for somebody to come to the first session and not feel anxious people dread it so we are used to that we we're set up for it and we expect it don't we so know how to kind of help people relax but if you're the thing you're coming with is social anxiety. I think it's almost doubly hard. It's really pushing people out of their comfort zones, let alone, you know, if your anxiety is around being judged and struggling with the mind of others, you know, you're going to worry about what your therapist thinks. And, and mm-hmm. So if somebody thought was listening to this and thought, gosh, I could actually maybe CBT might be able to help me kind of over some, I don't have to live with some of this social anxiety. What advice would you give to somebody considering it now? I completely agree with what you've just said. Completely like, it's going to be harder. Everybody, everybody who walks through my door is anxious um, on the first session at least. Um, you know, by the end, they t- hopefully they're feeling better. So it's got a bit better. But you don't know this person you're meeting, no matter what, whether you've got social anxiety. I think everybody thinks I'm going to have two heads. I promise I don't. The bit I really love about somebody coming in when they have social anxiety is they're, they're getting a double win right from the start because their treatment starts the moment they walk through the door or the moment they pick up the phone and make that call to a therapist to say, actually, I'm really struggling with this. I suppose simply by turning up, they are starting their exposure to situations which are going to be making them feel anxious. And that's what we ask everybody to do in therapy, no matter what the disorder. So there is this element of you're winning from the start. You're already starting to get treated just by showing up. Yeah. And I just wanted to say that um, everybody after the first session, I always say, was it that bad? You know, was it as bad as what you expected? And then everybody says no it was it was much easier than what I expected yeah absolutely and we don't allow awkward silences do we especially in CBT we just you know (laughs) curious and very nosy so we're (laughs) (laughs) yeah we are a little bit nosy sometimes I suppose I think the other the other thing I would say and this goes for all disorders not just social anxiety but maybe more so with social anxiety you have to find a therapist that you feel comfortable with and I think that's the most important thing um yeah. now fact, the thing that is in the research isn't it that you're the one of the most things that yeah. makes therapy effective is your relationship with the therapist so if you go and you just don't doubt gel therapists are never offended um you know no. we can't be suit everybody so you need to stop and find somebody that you feel really comfortable with but yes. I suppose social anxiety maybe um you know, you need to have a sense that that person can help you. They've got, they've yes. got it. They know what's. You need to trust in their expertise because I suppose with somebody with social anxiety, they they might feel uncomfortable with every therapist. You know, to an extent. True. There's going to be people you're going to connect with maybe a little bit more, I suppose. And I think the bit that makes it maybe a little bit more difficult um, is that my my general piece of advice would be like phone a few people you know do a little bit of research maybe get a couple of recommendations but you might need to email a few people you might need to phone a few people and that again is one of those little added barriers sometimes that can come with social anxiety is it's like I don't want to have to talk to three therapists to find the right one um but you really would be better off phoning the three to find the right one rather than phoning one and then getting three sessions in and then having to swap anyway yeah, so it's worth that investment in time there. It, it is. Can you give us a, yeah. Can you give us a few tips for people if they have social anxiety, you know? What, so my yeah. top tip is yeah. what the therapists will call external attention. Um, yeah. But essentially, start watching what other people do. 
So if you're mm-hmm. sat in your friendship group and you're thinking, I don't know what to say, or what if I wave my hands about too much when I'm talking, or what if there's this little awkward silence or a pause, sit with your friends and watch what happens. Watch mm-hmm. in that group who is waving their hands about or who's quieter than everybody else. or And how does the group manage when there is a bit of a pause in conversation or a lull? Um, yeah. Because one you're practicing external attention for a start. So you're getting out of your head, you're getting into what's actually going on. You're actually going to keep pace with the conversation better. You're going to be feel that you're more involved in what's going on, um, which is just absolutely wonderful. And the other thing is you might actually pick up a couple of tips. You might actually pick up like what are other people doing that is working. So getting really curious. Get really curious. And just start paying attention to what other people are doing. So if there's like one there, my one top tip is start observing what's going on around you rather than what's going on in your own head. Fantastic. And and I was just curious, why is social anxiety your special interest? And do you have any experience of social anxiety yourself? Is that what's drawn you to this? Um, To be honest... And I know this may come as a bit of a shock, but I love treating social anxiety because I think it's fun. I think yeah. it can be really fun. And I I have sat with clients and I sort of I'm saying, oh, this is going to be wonderful. And they're looking at me like, what on <laughs> earth? <laughs> but once once people are able to see how they can make changes, it can become so fun and creative. It's so rewarding. Um, as well isn't it it's is so rewarding and this cbt does work it is effective you will get better you will and there's there's so many fun experiments that you can do with it um and so the other thing i will say as a person as a therapist myself is if i am asking you to do something and it's never me asking i suppose it's if we're collaborating if we've come up with an idea that we're thinking about trying yeah. I, I'm never going to be trying to get somebody to do something I haven't done or that I'm not willing to do myself. Um, yeah. So I have this very funny little story about um, I had a client who was very worried about blushing. Mm-hmm. So going very red in the face and this being really noticeable. So we decided to go out together and yeah. um, well, we had to cover ourselves in blusher for a start. So we covered our entire faces, both of us. I did it as well. Covered our entire faces in blusher. Oh, pro tip here for any therapist listening. Don't use blusher that's got glitter in it. (laughs) Just something really matte. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So we went out together. We we actually huddled ourselves up in coats and things to try and make ourselves actually hotter than we were. And it was... um, it was like a big superstore opposite where I was working. So we went over there and we just went around and asked um, people for directions. You know, oh, can you show me or could you point me in the direction of the aisle that this thing is in? Um, and we'd, we'd done this a few times. And I I think I got into it a little bit too much because I, I remember sort of we'd, we'd actually stopped and had a proper conversation with one of the colleagues that worked there. Yeah. Um, and nothing had happened. He hadn't laughed at us. He hadn't done any of the things that we were sort of predicting were going to happen. Mm-hmm. And as we were walking back in that direction, um, I said, come on, we need to go find someone who will laugh at us. And my client just turned to me and went, Sarah, no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, that was the point of this, wasn't it? <laughs> I remember it a few, well, a couple of months ago now, I was in um, Marks and Spencer's. It would have been a Friday after I'd finished work and I'd run in to get a load of stuff and threw in a bottle of red wine. And down one of the aisles in Marks and Spencer's, I dropped, well, I tried. I had a 5p bloody bag from Boots that was paper. Oh, no. yeah. Cram everything, you know, make, make it everything fit in. So, of course, it burst. My wine and all my shopping went all over, just smashed. Mm. And I was there 15 minutes. I couldn't leave it yeah. because I just, and that no shop assistant came. People just skirted me and avoided me. Nobody looked out. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, and that's a typical thing you imagine the embarrassments of nobody, everybody just wanted to get on with their own shopping. Yeah, in the, in the nicest possible way, no one cares. <laughs> Don't um, care. 
I, I had another gentleman who um, he was a he was a avoid eye contact, look at the floor, look at your own feet. So um, we sent him into the, one of the supermarkets uh, one day, and all he had to do was just look up. I, I said, "You don't need my eye contact. I just don't want you looking at the floor." So look up. And he came back the next week. I said, "Did you learn anything?" He went, "God, everybody in Asda is miserable." <laughs> because <laughs> he realized nobody was looking at him and they were all doing what he'd been doing they were just looking really glum you know yeah. pushing their trolleys around Astar. We're, um, we're all in our own heads we're yeah. all in our own heads are there any um helpful resources you'd recommend to people when you're working with them or you know because sometimes therapy is just such a leap and that's one of the reasons i created the cbt journal was that give some people a tool to do as like kind of a starter for if going to therapy is too too big a jump so is there anything people could look at or any books that you'd recommend so I struggle with this one because I don't hand out kind of lots of chapters I know some um CBT therapists you know they'll print off sort of self-help worksheets and things like that I work very much with the person in front of me. So there's nothing I kind of give out consistently. Um, there is a fabulous Overcoming Social Anxiety and Shyness book, part of that Overcoming series from Gillian Butler, who is just, you know, brilliant at this kind of thing. Um, really well-respected right. CBT therapist. So there's that. The other thing I wanted to mention yeah. briefly was... Um, a lot of people think that social anxiety is kind of like the same as being an introvert um, mm. and that's not actually true so introversion is more about kind of how you recharge your batteries but I get a lot there's a lot of overlap you know a lot of people who are quite introverted and actually like spending time on their own struggle in social situations and I, I have a lot of those people walk through my door as well um, oh. and there's this lovely book called Quiet by Susan Kane. now it's not like a self-help book um, it's about introverts and it's about how you can actually be quite, um, out, you know, appear very outgoing, actually quite extroverted, as long as you've got that ability to sort of recharge on your own um, and recharge yeah. your batteries. And I've recommended this to a number of my clients and they've all come back and said, actually, this was really helpful. This really helped me see that there's nothing wrong with me just because actually I don't want to go out clubbing. It's just not my scene. Yeah. And actually yeah. really help them yeah. sort of just accept, like, maybe I don't have to be the life and soul of the party because actually I'm not. That's not who I am. I like being the person in the corner of the party having a really deep conversation with somebody. And that's just fine. So oh, that's something I actually I recommend quite a lot um, for my clients who are a bit more introverted. Um, and then in sessions, I like using um, like little videos. Um, so, you know, the... Um, it's called the basketball attention test. Did you ever have you ever seen this, Sarah? No, I yeah, haven't. you haven't. Oh no. gosh, no, I, I don't want to talk about it now because I'm going to spoil it for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, Google it. Yeah. Google it. Oh, yeah. I'm going to spoil it for you now, well, though. No, it's fine. It's fine. Well, I'm going to spoil it for all of your listeners. It's called the basketball okay. attention test, and you'll find it on YouTube. Well, it's about okay. a minute and a half long. It's not very long at okay. all. And yeah, go and Google it. But what it what I use it for is to show people how your attention works. So okay. you're watching. It's like a it's a funny little uh, there's people running around throwing basketballs and some yeah. of them are in white T-shirts, some of them are in black T-shirts. And it's about can you pay enough attention to count the people in people in white T-shirts, how many times they throw the ball? OK. OK. And it. I don't want to spoil it for everybody. So if you go and have a watch um, and see actually how good is your retention. Yeah. Um, and I, I use this a lot with clients to sort of say, like, this is how attention is working. This is how other people's attention is also working. Yeah. So they may not be giving you as much attention as what it feels like. Exactly. Yeah. Really useful. If somebody is considering some, having some CBT, where can they, can they get help from? So obviously they could Google somebody like me. So hop onto Google or psychology yeah. tools, counseling directory, find a therapist in your area. Um, mm -hmm. if, if that's the route that you want to go, cause you're going to get in quicker, I suppose. It, um, yeah. you, and you're going to get a lot of choice about who you might want to see. So there was, yeah. there's obviously that route. Um, everywhere in the country has a primary care psychology service or, uh, um, often called an IAP service. Um, so if you, 
go speak to your GP or if you Google the one in your area, some of them are even self-referral. You don't yeah, actually have I, to I mean, that to should GP. be That should be nationwide now, shouldn't it? That I yes, think a lot of it them is. are self-referral, so you don't need to go through your GP. I think that's so important for people yep. to know there's an extra barrier. They're trying to take it away, aren't they? So you can see your GP or try and self-refer to the primary care mental health team. I absorbed this. Yeah. Right? Primary care, they, they've all got different names. Some of them are just called sort of primary care psychology service of the area that they're in. Some of them have fancier names. You know, they've got them sort of almost like branded. But yeah. if you put in, if you put in that fill your area or you go on your local NHS trust website for mental health, there will be details of how to contact them there. Like I say, some of them are self-referral, which is brilliant because again, you can often, you can even just fill it in online and sort of email it off. Right, um, fantastic, that's brilliant. Um, and a question that I um, ask all my guests is, if you could have a conversation with your 15-year-old self, what would you say? And what would you want your younger self to know? I suppose in, in theme that we've been talking about social anxiety, um, it would be to stop caring what other people think so much um, and learning that you don't have to keep everybody happy and in fact you're never going to be able to keep everybody happy um so yeah I, those are lessons I would have liked to have learned a little bit earlier in life yeah, <laughs> um, all, yeah. oh definitely listen to this and think and learn from us oh that's lovely and how can people find out more about what you do and where you are and if they want to connect with you on social media what's the best um and are you open for questions if anybody has any questions for this so how can people connect with you so i have a website which is greendoortherapy.co.uk um, and all my other links are on there as well so don't feel like you have to remember everything um, i'm on instagram i'm at greendoor underscore therapy um and if you if you pop into Facebook as well, if you put in Green Door Therapy UK, you'll find me there as well. Um, so my website's obviously got all the information about my private practice. Um, I've got a new clinic open on a Friday. I'm I'm open for questions. There's a there's a form if anybody wants to email me off the website. Um, and if you want to follow me on social media, um, particularly Instagram, I yeah. you know I'm often putting up. Sometimes, you know, information and I'll definitely be putting some some things up about um, social anxiety when this podcast comes out. But I also put up, you know, my general musings on life occasionally, you know, if there's something in particular that's caught my eye that, you know, if you want to follow me that way on on Instagram or Facebook as well. Brilliant. And thank you so much, Sarah. I've really, really enjoyed that. I think there's, you know, I think it's going to be hopefully very helpful to lots of people because I think it's it's not talked about enough is it and it's something that we all experience at some point in our lives to varying degrees so it's been absolutely wonderful to chat to you thank you thank you very much for having me